Welcome to Expat Money Experts, the podcast that provides weekly analysis and tips to help international investors and savers navigate the complex world of effective financial planning whilst living overseas. Today we're joined by Maria Fadiba. She works for a company called Practical Mortgage Solutions and they specialize in helping people get mortgages. Maria specifically uh, works with the expat community uh, helping people living abroad, you know, getting mortgages back home, which is, of course, slightly different um, than getting a mortgage whilst you're, you're based in, in the country at the time. So how long have you been uh, a mortgage broker uh, and what got you into that industry? Um, well, I've been in the industry now for uh, just over 15 years. Um, it was a bit of incidental, so I've uh, just graduated from university back in Russia and for four years prior to starting the industry, I was sort of living between London and Moscow and wasn't really sure what I wanted to do at the time. And one of my part-time jobs was actually a sales coordinator um, in one of these agencies in South London. And that's when I met a mortgage broker for the first time. Um, at the time, I was very confused about the point of a brokerage but obviously um having you know working closely with her um, it kind of made sense and uh from then on i had um another part-time job when i uh was a power planner for a mortgage broker uh and a couple of months into the job i was offered to do my cmap exam which is um a requirement to um for, for any broker essentially yeah. and um a year later after i've qualified I've started advising on my own and yeah um, now it's um, 14 years uh, since I'm actually advising and um, I'm still here. Okay fantastic and now you specialize uh, in dealing with expat clients Uh, so why is getting a mortgage different for someone living abroad uh, than it is for your regular person back home? Um, yeah, it's a good question, but um, essentially um, a person living outside of the UK represents a higher risk to the lender. Um, and there are two so there are two parts to um, a mortgage application, essentially. One is to assess an ability of an individual to pay the mortgage and pay it sustainably. Um, the other part is the property itself. So if you have an applicant living abroad, um, it could be more laborious and difficult, more, more difficult to prove the ability to pay the mortgage, uh, purely because there are, you know, in different countries, you have different ways of people earning money, um, the documents that they can provide to, uh, to, to prove what they earn um, could also be slightly different to what we have in the UK. Um, therefore, it's harder for the underwriters to assess uh, such documents and um, the other um, part of the as I said is property itself um, when lenders look at the um, sort of whether they advance loan to a person or not they make sure that the asset itself that they secure the lending against it's, it fits their criteria it's a good value and if they ever have to repossess the property from the person um, which is a very very last step um, obviously, that they can sell that property very easily, very quickly, without any um, litigations and issues, and to recoup the money. Okay. Um, that 
the borrower owes them. So obviously it could be a bit more difficult if the person is based abroad. Not necessarily impossible, it just could be more difficult and that's what sure. lenders don't want to see. Um, uh, yeah, but essentially um, the, the process itself, it's not that much different. It just requires a bit more paperwork, a bit more due diligence checks uh, from the lender and pricing obviously uh, reflects the increased risks as well. So what can people expect the process to look like uh, and is there anything you know they could do to either speed it up or to make it a, a smoother process? Um, the process is uh, pretty straightforward so you have this initial conversation with the client uh, where you establish what they're looking to do um, and then we'll do quite detailed fact-finding where I would generally general information that will require that stage with which is quite detailed um, would be information about their assets and liabilities, their income, their expenditure, um, what sort of funds they have to put into property. Um, also, if they have any financial connection to the UK in forms of um, assets and bank accounts, etc., we'll need to know that as well. Um, what's very important at that stage, and which also will be uh, very, very helpful to make the process smoother down the line, is to is a full disclosure. Um, anything that you're unsure that's going to make, um, whether it's going to make any difference to the application or not, uh, I recommend to you volunteer that information um, to the broker or a bank if you're speaking just to an individual bank. Um, very often people think that um, you know, if they don't mention they have a property or if they don't mention they um, had a default five years ago, it, it doesn't seem important to them. Um, we were going for application process and application gets declined for that reason. You're obviously going to have to go back to drawing board and redo um, research and potentially, you know, will result in high rates or potentially inability to get mortgage. So knowing that information early enough uh, will allow broker to give you um, an accurate research. Um, so once obviously um, I have enough information, I can match the client's profile to one or a few lenders uh, from from a panel. I have about 50 um, lenders that um, work with expats. And um, then it depends on where you're in the process. If you just early, early on, um, you'll have enough information for you then to um, go away, find a property within the budget you can afford that you now know for sure you can. Um, or um, if you already bought a property, let's say um, a new build that you've committed to and you will complete in a couple of years time, um, you'll be rest assured that you should be able to get a mortgage down the line. Um, so to make the process smooth, as I already said, please do full disclosure at the initial stage. Um, the other important thing is make sure um, the broker gives you um, a quite exhaustive list of documents that the lenders might require. It's very important, especially for expats, because certain things, for example, you know, you live in, in the Middle East, um, the postal systems here is very different. In the UK, it's very typical for lenders to ask for proof of address, um, and that could be utility bill or bank statement addressed to your home, and it has to arrive to your home, which not really a thing in the Middle East. Therefore, some clients struggling with providing such documents. So as long as you know this is what's required, you'll know what alternatives are early enough in the process and that will allow to save time in the future. Sure. Um, so these are really 
key um i think i'd say key things that to to remember to uh, to know early sure. on full disclosure and know exactly what's required from you and um know that you can provide that sure so basically you know the the more information you provide the the easier it's going to be for someone to to go through that and, and do their job properly basically. exactly exactly cool. so expats um, are typically going to pay a, a higher rate for their mortgages because um, you know they're a higher risk to the lender as I mentioned before uh, is there a rule of thumb amount that this is generally higher by and I wouldn't say there's necessarily a, a rule of thumb as such, but uh, if you look at the sort of ballpark, um, you know, the spectrum of rates um, that expat can expect from uh, from the UK lenders, that will be generally a bit higher than the um, rates for UK residents. Um, I'd say for UK residents, you expect to pay probably between just above one percent to um, to about two and a half percent for um, owner occupa occupation mortgages, and something between one and a half to three percent for buy to lets. Um, the rest for expats, you're probably looking at two and a half to four and a half on average. Um, having said that, there are circumstances where you can get exactly the same rates as UK residents. Um, the couple of scenarios I spring to mind. One is um, if you're buying a property for your family to live um, in the UK and you're based abroad but you work for a UK company and get paid in pounds in a UK bank account there are some lenders that would offer you um, UK residential rates um, there's lots of caveats with it uh, but it is, it is possible and there is a choice there's few lenders doing that um, the other scenario where you'll get exactly the same rates as UK residents is when you're buying um, a property that uh, would be lent on buying a specialist lender. For example, okay. um, if you're buying a buy-to-let, um, normal buy-to-let or uh, an HMO, a free limited company, for example, um, there are lenders that are offering exactly the same rates to experts as they do to UK residents. Um, they are um, initially a little bit higher than your normal buy-to-let rates because they are specialist um you know the specialist lending but it's not it's not that significant and um, the only difference would be that there will be more paperwork required uh from an expert for exactly the same rate than from the uk resident sure okay that makes sense um have you seen any changes in the lending market you know, since the coronavirus situation happened oh my gosh so many and it's <laughs> It's, it's constant it's literally since the um i think that the the, the major effect the market had uh, from this pandemic was when the um uk government announced the sort of full lockdown when the physical valuation stopped um it's pretty much froze the entire market for a few weeks and uh, things were just you know you were getting email up emails uh, with updates from lenders uh, sometimes few a day from the same lenders. Um, so initially what happened was obviously without an ability to do physical valuation of an asset you lending against, yeah. um, stopped lenders from lending altogether. Uh, other lenders had to, dropped, uh, had to drop the loan to values, uh, which is basically a proportion of the value of the property that they can lend to you. Um, most of them dropped to sort of 
50-60% of the value of the property. Um, lots of properties um, were sort of out of lending, so to speak, like HMOs, high-rises, anything unusual, um, any sort of properties above commercial um, elements, any new-built properties, the, the lending virtually stopped on those because without um, a value actually physically going to the property, lenders couldn't really be sure that they have a clear understanding of the assets they're lending against. Sure. Um, since the um, lockdown being eased up and values were allowed to go back, um, we saw lots of lenders going back to lending very quickly. It's, it's, it's still a process. We're not uh, now exactly where we were um, prior to the pandemic. It's close, but we, you know, we we still sort of certain properties like HMI student accommodation is a bit, a bit difficult to get lending on because obviously there's a risk of a second wave, and therefore there's quite sort of there's still uncertainty whether university is going to be um, sort of open in September. Um, therefore, students might not need to occupy those student accommodations. Um, HMI again, you have house of multiple occupation, you know, if the second wave hits, um, the rental of those properties is going to be um, limited. Yeah. And um, so some of, I mean, it's, it's still possible to get lending on those properties, but it's uh, it's a limited choice. Um, with loan to values uh, as well, I mean, it doesn't really concern experts as much because uh, maximum loan to values for experts, it's at 80% anyway. Um, okay. Most most would be 75, but yeah, there's there are options for 80%. But um, yeah, so that's kind of major changes. But um, the other thing, quite I think interesting for people would be to hear is that the expectations of the interest rates to be lower than prior to pandemic, that didn't really materialise. Uh, lots of specialist lenders' rates actually gone up, um, not massively, but they have. It's probably temporarily. Um, measure, but um, sure. they are higher than the war prior to the pandemic. Um, mainstream lenders um, have their rates going up and down over time in any case. Um, so that, that fluctuation is, is, is very normal because lenders want, you know, they, that's the way the interest rate for lenders. It's not just a measure of risk that lending represents. It's also a way of controlling the level of business they get. So obviously sure. we're so many valuations not happening in the last few weeks and then now we're back to sort of clearing up this backlog uh, some lenders are less prepared than others and they're so overwhelmed so obviously they had to increase the interest rates so they have lesser um influx of the applications coming in to level out that level that service essentially um so i guess sure. yeah that's these interesting are, yeah i i wasn't aware that um, yeah, I never really thought about the impacts on on the lending market through this whole pandemic. So interesting to have that perspective. Um, you've obviously been doing this 15 years, so you know if you could only give one piece of advice to someone who was wanting to buy a property, uh, what what would that be? Um interesting question and it's very difficult always very difficult to single one thing um out of um, sort of a myriad of things you have to consider when you're buying property um but i'd say probably the most important thing is to understand 
why you're buying a property. And from that why you're buying a property, you kind of scale down to the rest of the questions and the rest of the answers. Um, because if you're buying property to live in the property, you, you know, you there will be certain things to consider. If you're buying a property as an investment, you'll, you'll have to look out for other things, like, for example, the dynamics or dem demographics of the area. Um, you have to take into account the population, sort of whether it's growing or not, etc. Um, if you buy a property to live in, you will be looking at things like schools if you have children or, you know, the infrastructure, etc. Um, so this question of why you're buying a property will uh, drive you to um, decisions you're making and um, make sure you do, um, it's kind of like seeds from the question why, but make sure you have a clear understanding of if you do need to finance, um, have the conversation very early in the process um, because you could be looking for property that you can never afford or um, that's never going to be a good investment solution for you. Um, and in other cases, for example, when people buying off plan um, properties, they're going to be completed in two or three years down the line, put the deposit down, which is non refundable, by the way, um, and I don't really um, check the ability to borrow. Um, yeah, that could be a problem quite easily. Exactly. And even if you do, you know, you come to a completion two years down the line, and we've seen in the last few weeks how life can change very quickly. No Definitely. one's job is secure, no one's funds are secure. You have to always have that plan B. So once you answer the question, why are you buying the property, then you can come to next sort of um, set of questions what ifs and etc and just you know there's there's nothing is certain but you just have to understand that you need to be um knowledgeable knowledgeable and aware so the off-plan situation you know where people might have uh, put a deposit down which is non-refundable and since lost their jobs as many many people have have, have you come across a lot of people in that situation? Is it, I mean, is there anything they can do or are they just, they're just at a loss and, and, and that's it for them? Well, this is, this is the thing with, um, with a plan. I think originally a plan was designed for, you know, to, for people to fund the buildings and originally you put, you know, you buy a property for much less than it's going to worth when, when you end up buying it, which is not the case now when it comes to, valuations of those properties, even if you're not lost job and you know you've got lots of mortgages available to you, those valuations come back with crazy margin. So if you know, for example, I worked on a couple of developments where two bedrooms were selling for two hundred thousand mark. Mm. And the valuations were coming back between 165 to 200. And if wow. you're very tight on your funds, it's a massive, massive, massive margin there. Um, so the off plans are not what they sort of, you know, they're not what they're meant to be. And obviously, if you do lose your job, um, it's not really much you can do. You either have sure. to get any, um, you know, you need to speak to the broker to see what the sort of the the lenders who are the easiest to deal with and what they can offer, whether you can obviously pay the rest, etc. But um, with sort of, you know, if you buy an off plan property, two three years in advance i would personally 
recommend to, to have a plan B and to know that you can either borrow money from a family, for example, or, or sure. I'm not recommending borrowing from a family, I'm just saying that there is an option there, or you actually have funds to cover the difference, but you just obviously rather not. Um, yeah. And it, otherwise, it, it is risky. Of course, it's risky. Something that you can buy, something that completes within the year, we can actually obtain a mortgage or we can apply for a mortgage as early as sometimes eight, ten months before and sort of prolong that process of getting that mortgage approved. Um, but that's kind of, you know, that's as far back as you can go. Some lenders can um, offer um, on, on the property that's, that's of plan. Uh, with offer value for six months and they can extend for another six months. But obviously, again, there's a slight risk that if something changes within that um, a year period, um, again, it's not it's not guaranteed. So th sure. there is a risk and you have to understand that risk and you have to understand that the, you have plan B. Sure. No, that makes total sense. I mean, um, it's, it's sort of industry standard practice in, in wealth management, certainly, you know, to tell people to leverage on property. It's the only asset class that you can uh, own on someone else's money, essentially. Um, and then, of course, your capital, which you haven't spent on the property, you can use to invest in, and outperform the interest on the, on the mortgage. But, yeah. you know, that is a massive risk, definitely. I mean, as we've seen, I think over the last 12 years, I mean, you, you've seen the market over that time period and obviously since the last time we had a, a market uh, dip or crash, um, things have just been going up and up and up. So I think there's a huge amount of confidence um, being built up. Um, do you remember the the way it was after that 2008-2009 period uh, in terms of the lending market? And do you think that's exactly what it's going to be like this time? or do you think that confidence is going to come back pretty quickly um, into the market? Um, I remember that times really well. I've literally just uh, qualified, started advising. I've gained my sort of, um, you know, confidence as an advisor. Obviously, I was very fresh at the time, but I've, you know, if you see people on a daily basis in and out, you, you kind of build up that experience pretty quickly. Um, and um, I was very happy with my job at the time because, you know, it's a new career, everything very fresh, and um, all of a sudden that hit us. And yeah. um, it, it was pretty, first year was pretty difficult because we worked really, really hard, sort of sometimes 12 hours a day, but it was impossible to get lending for people very very often because of the obviously the prices dropped drastically lots of people yeah. found themselves in negative equity um income dropped significantly um, so it was very difficult you know you're trying to kind of find a solution for people and you just can't um the prices i, th I think it took um it, the confidence level was very low for for quite some time um, yeah. But the prices, property prices, rebounded. I think within a couple of years. Sure. I mean, I, don't quote me on that because obviously it was a long yeah. time ago. But I, I do remember them being sort of, you know, um, dropping super super low and then kind of gradually um, um, coming back to. Life. But it's a very different situation today than it was then. At the time, banks didn't have money, whereas now 
Um, and and Bruce knows a different story. They do have money and they do want to lend. They just don't want to lend on. Um, they don't want to create bad mortgage books. They don't want to lend to people that um, are going to be out of job tomorrow. They don't want to lend on properties that um, sort of overpriced or you know they were yeah. not confident of what the value would be. But you can see the market is rebouncing already. So sort of as soon as the valuations were allowed and people start moving, um, there's a still massive. Uh, deficit in properties compared to what sort of what we need in housing back in the UK um, and you know basic um, rules of economic you know supply and demand isn't it um, something is in uh, deficit it's um, it's going to grow in value people need to leave somewhere they either will be owning the properties if they're not they have to rent the properties and who owns the properties that um, going to be let out people as well they're just different different people um so the uh, you know the, the rebounds of the market and confidence in it is actually pretty much there obviously there's lots of uncertainty but i don't feel as um sort of i don't feel as scared for the future that i did then sure it's a very different it's a, it's a different crisis isn't it so obviously it the last one was driven by financial matters and this one is driven by something completely different so exactly. uh, and, also, and also lenders back then were very very reckless and obviously this is this there was the whole uh, kind of basis for that crisis whereas now yeah. it's it, we live in a very different market it's super regulated the regulation actually you know it's every year every sort of few months you get memos of this changing and this changing and you provide this extra paperwork and be very more careful with this and this and that it's just it's it's the regulations are super tight and um, lenders are really kind of following um, the guidelines of uh, the FCA and um, everybody yeah. kind of very careful with, um, you know, assessment of people's ability to pay. And this is, this is definitely a different um, environment to be in. So I, I do have quite positive um, kind of outlook on the, on the market. Nice. Obviously, obviously, it's worrying uh, with the amount of um, money the government had to spend. So they have to do, they have to be pretty smart about how to um, kind of um, deal with those budget yeah. spending. Yeah. But um, just well, you think yeah. we'll get there in the end, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. I hope so. I don't yeah. have a crystal, but it's, you know, just just thinking rationally um, and what I see in market, it's it's definitely more positive than it was uh, 12 years ago. Fantastic. Well, look, Maria, really appreciate you coming on. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Expat Money Experts. We hope you enjoyed listening to our experts and can take away some ideas for enhancing your own financial planning. Please like and share this podcast so that more people like you can benefit from the knowledge and the opportunities that we share. If you'd like to pose a question to our panel for a future episode or would like us to cover a specific topic, then please reach out to us by email at panel at expatmoneyexperts.com. Equally, if you'd like to connect directly with any of our panel, again, mail in at panel at expatmoneyexperts.com and we'll take it from there. Expat Money Experts is an independent podcast brought to you by Hoxton Capital Management.